We decided the core values that were most important to the four of us at the leadership team. We built the company around. We hire around. I've had people come in and interview for voter positions that are tremendously experienced and would be amazing. They'd be rock star A players, but they were missing just one of our core values, the amount of fit. Same with franchise partners. And so going to the core element here, core values, hiring on core values, developing them, being intentional around them. It is not corporate mumble jumble. It is going to make a difference in building a cohesive leadership team, consistent leadership team. It's how you're going to you know, attract great technicians in your home service business, general managers, assistants, whatever. You're going to attract the best people when you're building an organization focused on core values. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss franchise podcast. My name is Dan Claps founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. Welcome to a episode of the I Fired My Boss podcast. Your host, co-host Dan Claps here. This is a solo episode that I wanted to put together um, and just decided to take a little time to talk about culture. Building a culture and building a team. In my opinion, this is an area where I've, you know, I, I do well in, and it's an area that I've always put a lot of attention into. I've read every book you can think of about building a company and building culture and building people and how to hire people and how to use emotional intelligence to get, you know, the best from people and help them become the best version of themselves. And frankly, it's, it's where I pride myself in building a company is around the building of people and culture and mentorship and leadership. And really, it's one of the things I, I enjoy so much is leading and developing people to be, you know, a better version of themselves and to do more than they thought they could ever, you know, possibly do. And so some of the things I, I'd like to talk about in this episode is centered around, you know, in your business, you don't necessarily always have a hiring problem. You have a culture problem. The product itself, the job that you're offering needs to be improved. And when you do, it'll be easier to sell that job or to recruit people in because people are going to look toward culture and culture starts to snowball and start to expand when you do it the right way. I want to talk about, you know, creating organizational charts, accountability charts, org charts in general. It's a great program that I use called Miro and we use at Voda and at Playbook and how you can create these organizational levels and understanding how to build org charts the right way and how to create incentive plans the right way. I want to touch on, you know, some of the things centered around what leading people really means and the difference between a leader and a boss and how that you can be not become, you don't want to fire your boss and, and get into a franchise and then be just become a boss, right? Someone else's boss. Nobody wants to be a boss. If any of anyone on my team called me their boss, I can't stand that, right? I don't want to be anyone's boss. I want to be a leader. The leader's in the, in the trenches with their team. A leader works with them and supports their team. And they're what you would call a servant leader. That's the goal is to be a servant leader. You're there to serve your team and help them win. And so we're going to touch on that. And we're going to just overall touch on hiring strategy. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Dan Clapp, CEO of Franchise Playbook and of Voda Cleaning and Restoration. We're a restoration franchise in the 
franchise fee. So just to touch, this podcast is sponsored by Chase Dalton's company, Silicon Signs. We're a big fan of Silicon Signs. They do an incredible job building signs. Uh, Chase had reached out and let me, let us know that a few people have been reaching out to him off of listening to our podcast. You know, if you're business brick and mortar, you've got signage, you're a franchise or you've got signage, I highly recommend reaching out to Silicon Signs. They do a phenomenal job. They work with companies like Crumble, Dirty Dough, and a lot of other you know, retail businesses, they just do a, a great job at, at, and the pricing is great. And honestly, the founder and CEO is a young guy that's just super hungry. And I, I think if you're going to give someone business, it's a great person to consider. They really do care about doing a great job. So anyway, to start off, let's talk about, you know, what is a company? So there's a great quote that a company is not the plan it creates, but it's the people it hires. And the company becomes the people that are in the business and that are in the company. The company is made up of a, an organization of people. If you think about LinkedIn, or Google, or Facebook, all of them are collections of people creating systems and creating an organization, right? And so a company is simply the collection of people. And so you want to collect, it sounds funny, you want to collect people, but you want to create a company that's a collection of amazing people that all have different skill sets. And but that all share the same core values and common vision and goal. Everyone in your company needs to be driven by something bigger than just a paycheck. They need to, especially millennials and Gen Z, they need to be driven by a cause, by something bigger than themselves. I promise you, when you realize that at one point, money doesn't mean as much as you think. When you have made enough money, let's say an example, where you're not stressing over it, you realize Sometimes it's just, you know, not just because of money, but just experience or age. But eventually you realize that life, when you look back at it, is about having a purpose. And so people want to work, of course, to make great money, but they want to work in an organization where they're doing something bigger than themselves. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And so what I always, you know, like to, to tell people is you want to think about your people as the engine. They are the company. And so again, a company is not the plan it makes, but it's the people that they, they hire. And there's this other great saying in technology that I love. And I look toward technology startups often to learn from the way that they've built their businesses. And one of the things I've, I've learned that is great is that, you know, when you're in a leadership role, you no longer make the product. You build the people who make the product. And so I want you to think about if you're a new franchise owner, if you're thinking about being a franchise owner, maybe you're a regular business owner in the home services space, I want you to realize that your number one job is to hire and retain great people. It's like the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing, right? The first prize is a catalog, second prize, it's a set of statements. ABC, always be closing, but at this time it's ABH, always be hiring. And so always be hiring means Everywhere you go, you are thinking about, could I hire this person? I'll give you a perfect example. Over the weekend, I was uh, shopping for a new bed and I went to Mattress Firm and I met the sales guy and immediately I knew he was a great sales guy. He was just, he, was, he knew that like when you're looking for a bed, the two worst purchases in life are like a bed and a car. And he knew that it's overwhelming. And so one, they had this great technology where they asked me a series of questions and quickly you know, deduce the, what I needed out of a bed. What, you know, based on my sleeping patterns and what I wanted, and if I sleep hot or cold, and if I snore, and if I sleep apnea, and do I want king size? How much will I spend? Then he goes to tell me that they literally have beds from anywhere from $100 to 
to $7,000. And it's every one of them is different. And you're overwhelmed. But he took the time to get to know me. And then he provided me with options using their technology. And honestly, within an hour, we got me to the bed I wanted and I bought it right then and there. The reality though is he was a great salesperson. He was able to listen and not sell. And so as I was checking out, I actually, we were talking about what I do for work. And I left there with his phone number and we talked this morning about him potentially working in franchising. You see, I'm always hiring, always thinking about the next person. And I know I will find them outside of the world that I live in. And so if you're in home services and you're at a Dunkin' Donuts and you're going through the drive-thru and there's a young person that has a, you know, a great attitude and smile and they're, they just, you just feel something about them. Take the time. Hey, you know, listen, you're doing a great job here. You thought about, you know, doing something in, in, in sales. You know, I noticed that you have a great, you know, ability to communicate. They're working at Dunkin' Donuts. They, this could be an opportunity for them to get at, into something so much bigger because they don't realize that that one skill, that, that attitude, that sales ability can lead to doing something bigger. So always be hiring people are available at restaurants. You know, when you're talking to a hostess and she's got a great personality or he's got a great personality, you're talking to the employee at Dunkin' Donuts, you're at the gym, anywhere you go, you should always be hiring. Now, on this topic of always being hiring, you want to make sure that you're hiring people that center around your core values. And I know this all sounds like corporate mumbo jumbo, I get it. But over the years, the further I've gone, the more successful I've been, and the more I learn from people more successful than me, I learn that they lean into core values more, not less. So the first thing you need to do is you need to establish what are your core values, not your business core values. What are your core values as a person? And then you're going to take those core values and you're going to write them out. You're going to pick the five best ones that are most important to you, number them based on what's most important, one to five. And then I want you to then apply that to your business. And what you should do is if you own a business, go to your team, get their core values, and you're going to create a synergy, the best, most important core values that you share. If you don't have employees, then I want you to think about developing them before you bring them into your team. So at Franchise Playbook, our core values center around grit, guts, resiliency, intensity, tenacity. That's the word grit, G-R-I-T. Grit. And grit is the number one determinant of success. And so we're super, we lean into grit. We want to, we, we have meetings where we showcase someone showed a core value grit yesterday by doing X, Y, Z. And our other core value at Franchise Playbook that trickles down into voted into our future brands is um, being a student, lear- uh, lifelong learner, student in the game. Everything at Playbook relates to football in our scenario. So being, you know, uh, being a student in the game is someone that's consistently learning and growing and evolving as a person. I think about when you play football, you watch tape of your games, you see yourself, how you look when you throw or when you tackle and you improve it and you tweak it every little bit, every summer at camp and every, you know, training. It's the same thing. You want to be a student in the game. You want to be listening to your calls. You want to be, if you're in sales, you want to be watching yourself on camera. You want to be taking public speaking classes. If you're in the restoration space, you want to be, you know, going to IICRC classes. You want to be going to our uh, Voda University and learning and teaching yourself and growing. You want to be a lifelong learner. The most successful people in life are genuinely curious. They are focused on genuinely. They have a curiosity. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to get better. Like, give me an example. I love restoration. I had no idea I would love it as much as I do. I used to joke that I didn't like it. I love it. I love what we're doing. We go and we deal with people in such a challenging time and we, we, we develop, you know, empathy for them and we help them in this crisis, right? And so for me, I'm genuinely curious about how can we improve that process? 
How can we make it better? How can we do it differently? How can we disrupt the market? And trust me, you don't disrupt the market like restoration like we're doing with Moda by thinking about what everyone else is doing. You think about what can I do that's different, that's so out of the box, but it's right in front of us. For example, for us, we're the first and only cleaning and restoration franchise. When I found out there was no restoration business that focused on cleaning and restoration, when we say cleaning, floor cleaning, carpet cleaning, tile and grout, upholstery, air duct, cleaning, it's, uh, it builds predictable revenue streams and you know builds trust in the home of the business to get more restoration. If you Google lead sources for restoration, carpet cleaning business is on number five on the list, right? And so I was fascinated. Like I felt like I discovered fire. Like how is there not cleaning and restoration? And we came in and we disrupted that marketplace by designing trucks that only you know the only truck really that does both, etc. When you disrupt, you 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 do it because. It's in front of you, but you can't disrupt without having the right team. And so with us, with core values, grit, being a student of the game, had we not been a student of the game, constantly learning to push the envelope, we would never would have come up with that disruptive model. And without having a team that all thinks that way, we wouldn't be able to continually improve. You know, another core value for us at Franchise Playbook centers around the idea of, 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 of caringly candid, of candidness. And so, you know, there's this great Drew Brees quote that I once heard at an IFA, International Franchise Association event. And Drew Brees said that the best, I'll never think, this was a life-changing quote that I, I heard. He said that the best teams he's ever played are the ones that loved each other the most. It was the teams where they were actually friends. They actually gave, a, you know, they cared about each other on a personal level. And they pushed each other and they were able to do that because they cared about each other truthfully. And so we call it caringly candle in the, candid in the huddle. What that means is my team, we, we love each other. Like we are good. We've become good friends. I work with guys and gals that I want to work with. And, you know, the whole organization is people that I can have a, a beer and go to a barbecue with that are genuinely friends. We genuinely have a relationship outside of work and I care for them and they care for me. And because we care about each other, we can be candid. We can hold each other accountable. We can tell one another exactly where we're doing great and sometimes where we're not. And when we need to raise the bar, we can have those tough conversations. You know, I can think about a time recently where our COO, Zach Nolte, on a Friday night, we're talking because we had a candidate ready to close to being ready to move forward. I had some, some, some things going on. And he said, you know, I think that you're being emotionally attached to this because of the amount of time you spent with this person. And, you know, I think that maybe you're not, you know, realizing that. You know, he's spot on. As soon as he said it, you're right. Spent a lot of time with this person, not seeing it from the other side, not getting the objective opinion. You're completely right there. And I just, that caringly candidness coming from him was just so, it's just so perfect. And at the same time, being caringly candid, telling people when they did a great job, right? You'd be surprised how simple it is when you have teammates to tell them when they did a great job. It's a simple thing. People want to be complimented. I want to be complimented. We all do. Right. We live in a life where we're starving for compliments. And so complimenting your team is so important. But going back to core values, you know, you want to have, in our case, we want people with great. We want people that are student in the game. We want people that are currently candid. We want people that are transparent. We want people that, you know, um, you know, just, you know, go the extra mile and are ethical even when they're not being, the light's not being shining them. And so we decided the core values that were most important to the four of us at the leadership team. We built the company around. We hire around. Them. I've had people come in and interview for voter positions that are tremendously experienced and would be amazing. They'd be rockstar A players, but they were missing just one of our core values. They're not a fit. 
Same with franchise partners. And so going to the core element here, core values, hiring on core values, developing them, being intentional around them. It is not corporate mumble jumble. It is going to make a difference in building a cohesive leadership team, consistent leadership team. It's how you're going to you know, attract great technicians in your home service business, general managers, assistants, whatever. You're going to attract the best people when you're building an organization focused on core values. You know, as the CEO of your business, you know, you have to remember that the job of a CEO is only a few functions. They're not easy, but there's only a few. CEO's job, David Barr came up with this uh, tremendous franchise expert. I wish I could take credit, can't, but he said that the CEO's job is to one, cast a vision, two, secure buy-in, three, provide resources, four, be your company's biggest cheerleader, five, hold people accountable, and everything boils down into that. So let's break those out a little bit. Cast a vision. So the first job is to create a vision that's so clear in your mind that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get to that vision. My vision for Voda is so deep within me and is so important. There's nothing that can stand in my way. I'll go around it, above it, through it, under it. It does not matter. Because I know that the greater purpose of what we're doing is so important. And that momentum carries us and people can feel that. And so, you know, a vision that you believe in your heart, you got to believe in your vision. And once you have that vision, you may see it clearly. You need to communicate it within your organization over and over and over and over again. They have to think you're crazy. Our vision is this. Like at Playbook, our mission is to empower entrepreneurs to think bigger. I need to say that over and over and over through email, video, text, LinkedIn. Here's our core values. Here's our strategy. A leader's role is to clearly and cohesively communicate their vision and get it to a point that people do what? They buy in. So number two is, the number one's cast a vision. Number two is to secure buy-in. You have to get people's buy-in that they love that vision. They got to see that vision as clearly as you see it. They're seeing the same thing. If we're all rowing in a direction, right? And we're all looking at, you know, a landmass, but another guy's looking over there and he's rowing that way and the rest of the team's rowing that way. One oar rowing the wrong direction, right? Can throw off the whole organization or the whole boat. And so you need to have every person on your team see the vision clearly that you see. You have to communicate that in a cohesive and condensed way over and over and over till people buy in and they believe in that vision too. The third, as a CEO of your own business, is you need to provide resources. Providing resources is capital, intellectual capital, tools, technology, coaching. Maybe they just need a shoulder to cry on, right? Providing resources is providing people what they need to win. So for me, I always ask, what do you need to win? What do you need from me? What, you know, what do you need? Most people don't want to work for something. They want to have a platform. They want to go do their thing. Most people, at least that fit our core values, they want to do a great job. No one's coming to work saying, I can't wait to do a bad job at work today. I can't wait to, you know, suck and just, you know, go through the day until I can go home and, and, and work. If you are, those are not the people I'm hiring. And you shouldn't be either. People want to do a good job, genuinely. They want to be given a platform to then given some guidelines, some bumpers, if you will, give them a goal, give them a timeline, give them some these are the things that I can't work. You know, these are my non-negotiables. Here's, and then, and let them run. That's what people want. Genuine good people want to do that. They don't want to do a bad job. So give them the tools that they need. Communicate with them. Listen to them so you understand what they need, whether it's hiring, you know, whatever. And then provide those resources. 
Sounds easier than it is. I know that's not so simple, but that's that's the third. Number four is to be a cheerleader. Again, I spend most of my day recognizing areas that people did a great job. And it's little stuff. It's little things. We have teammates that work all over the country from their home. They're not connected to the greater, not as connected to the greater side of our business every day. And so noticing little things and complimenting, be a cheerleader. It's so important. And what that allows you to do is because you're the cheerleader, you can also hold them accountable. Remember, we're carrying the cannon. I'm going to tell you when you're doing a great job and when you're not doing as great of a job as you can. And so the secret here, it all comes down, dealing with people all comes down to communication. It's the choice of one or two words and tonality and intention. And so to give you an example, you know, whenever I lead people, I used to say, Hey, you're doing a, the compliment sandwich. You're doing a fantastic job. You're doing so great at this and this and that. But, and what did you just do? That but just negated everything you said. They all, that was all nonsense. They know that. Here's the negative, right? And I changed just one word in my communication. I'll say, Hey, you're doing a fantastic job at, you know, communicating. You're doing a fantastic job. You work the way you work, the hours you work, amazing. And if you were to take those two things, your skill set of communicating, and your work ethic and just improve the way you use our CRM system. So you're dialed in and super deep. I get it. Listen, I, I'm a salesperson at heart. I used to run around with a piece of paper and I, I didn't know how to take notes and use technology. I used to be all over the place when I was in my early twenties and I it took me a long time to get really dialed in. But you know what? If you could just fix that one thing, I, I had the same challenge. You could fix that one thing. I know it's not easy, but if you just do it a little bit every day and you take your ability to communicate and your ability to work and you, Combined, just keeping that CRM nice and tight, you're going to run through all, you're going to absolutely dominate in, in the sales space. Maybe there's no reason they're not using the system right. Maybe it's not, you know, their fault. You know, there's a saying, don't blame them, train them. So first, maybe the CRM sucks. Maybe the way you're, excuse my language, maybe the CRM you're using is not good. Maybe it's cumbersome, overly complicated. You know, people, we don't want to make excuses. We want to listen. Because people, again, remember, they want to do a good job. I don't think they're waking up saying, oh, let me how, how I screw up the CRM today and make my job harder for myself. I think there could be a, a break in the system. And so as a leader, your job is to hold people accountable. You're also there to hold systems accountable. And sometimes you have to be held accountable. So leadership and management is a two-way street. They're sort of saying you manage up just like you manage down. People on your team are going to manage you up. They should have the psychological comfort to be able to... T- I remember I worked I had an organization, a business, and there was, it was quite the opposite. You know, I worked in this company and you couldn't tell the person anything. They did anything wrong. They never did anything wrong. You ever meet someone like that? They're never wrong. I, I realized this in seven years, like, I, you never were wrong. It's amazing. I'm either a moron or you're really, you must be Einstein, right? Like you have never been wrong. It's fascinating, right? Like, geez. So, you know, you want to realize that people don't want to work for a robot and they know that you're a human being. Show them that. Show them that. Be held accountable too. The best leaders know how to say, you know what? I was wrong. I misunderstood that. I can see it from your perspective now that I've taken the time to listen to you, right? I can understand that. You know what? Maybe it isn't so easy to use that CRM because I didn't take the time to set it up properly. And I'm going to work on that and then work on it and tell them that you're sorry. People want, I'm not saying they want, you don't want to work for someone that's screwing up left and right. You know, you got to avert the role of CEO or owner to some degree, but they do want to work for someone that acknowledges that they've made mistakes too, that they're human too, and can be vulnerable with their team and tell them, don't be a robot. 
If you're going through something personal, sometimes you gotta tell them. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. Now, with that said, there's times that you should not be vulnerable. And that's when challenges arise. The worst thing you can do, why you can't, oh, I can't hire people. No, you're not leading right, is to lose your cool. I'll admit it. In my mid-20s, when I was running my last business, it was a stressful business. There were times, even though I was very nice to people, where I might lose my temper. Not lose my temper like I'm screaming, but you know, get a little, throw a little jab out there. Get a little bit snarkier, you know, my responses, you know, maybe dig in a little bit. And you have to realize that when you're the leader of business, it's like being a parent to some degree. You know, you're have like, you know, for me, like I, lo- I love my dad. And anytime he gives me, you know, he's proud, it means a lot, right? But also when he's not proud, that, that has a lot more weight, you know, no matter what age you are, no matter how old you are, you want your parents to be proud of you. And when they say something that they're not, it holds so much weight, right? So you got to realize as a leader, whatever you say, every single word and inflection that comes out of your mouth to your team, they are taking it home with them. You may not realize that. They're saying to their spouse, oh, you know, my, my boss kind of flipped out at me. And, you know, especially if you're doing it because you're stressed, like it's just unacceptable. And so as a leader, people are looking for, it's okay to be vulnerable when you have challenging times. But when things get tough, when there's a hard decision, when the stress is there, they're looking for you to be calm, cool, and collected. They're looking for you to be able to, there's a reason that that guy's in that position or gal is in that position. This is the time to show it. So whenever I have emergencies happen, I love that David Goggins saying, good, right? Oh, something's wrong? Good. How are we going to deal with it? And I've gotten to a point where I've overcome so many obstacles. And I've had so many times where I thought, man, maybe this isn't going to work out. I've had times where it's like, man, what if I go bankrupt? And I've had to face that fear as an entrepreneur over the past, you know, more than a decade that I've been an entrepreneur. And I know Knock on wood, I know that you could throw any objection at me, any hurdle, and I'll figure it out. And so that goes back to hiring. I only hire people that have a very specific attitude. There's a very specific thing they'll say. I'll, I'll find it. I have questions that I ask in interviews to get to it. They don't realize, which is, I'll figure it out. I don't know, but I'll figure it out. I got this. That's the kind of people you want to be hiring. So I'll give you an example. Obviously, you need to have lanes, a job description, people doing what their job is. But if I have someone on my team say, that's not in my job description, granted, we should work to make sure that they're doing the work that they're best at, that they're, as, as, as my friend Ryan Zink says, uh, they're a rifle, not a shotgun. I mean, they're focused on one thing day in and day out that they're best at, focused on their superpower and delegate everything else. At the same time, there's times where it's not your job description, but you do it because you care. You know, I can think about when I'm at a booth, I'm going to keep setting up that booth. I don't care. Voda was a billion dollar company. If I'm at that booth, I'm not going to stand there and watch people setting up a booth. I'm going to set up the booth. I'm going to pick up the garbage off the floor if I owned a restaurant. Like that's what having a owner's mentality is. I'm not saying I want to go, you know, do work that's, you know, not the best use of my time from a dollar per hour use of time. No, but sometimes I will. I'll do whatever it needs to be. I don't care about the title CEO. If I had a choice, my business card would be blank and it would be whatever you need me to be there. I'll go sit in a boardroom and then I'll go sit with a technician and it's all the same to me. It's all to build that greater good, to build the flywheel 
the business that I'm building that's spinning faster and faster and faster because it means something when you take the little time to do things that are beneath you. Nothing's beneath you. Don't think that way. Some of the most wealthy people I know that are friends of mine that are worth tremendous amounts of money, I look up to them because they didn't change. They sold their business. They made 10, nine figures. And, and you know what? They just kept showing up to work, their family, they go on a normal vacation. Maybe they spend a little bit here and there, but they go back to working and doing something bigger than themselves. Because I told you, most people, when they make some money, they realize it's not that it's not that great. More life than money. I know for me, happiest day of my life, or like one of the biggest accomplishments of my life is what I should say, was the day I sold my last business and I got the wire. Wow, so exciting. Something, all this work came to accumulate, you know, to something tangible. You know what? That was a Friday night. I woke up on Saturday. It was the worst day of my life. It was the most ungratifying feeling of my entire life. Literally, literally, I gave up all this work. I loved my team. I sold the business and I made money. And you know what? I said, what the hell am I going to do now? I miss my people. I miss my friends that I worked with. I miss the, the dream I was chasing. I miss what I was building. I built that since I was 22 years old with my bare hands. Meaning like I did every single job up until you know, the, the size business we were. And that Saturday was the worst feeling. I was back at looking at what to do next. I took a couple of weeks off, but then I was back at looking at what to do next immediately because I knew that momentum is a real thing. You know, momentum is a... So when I had the momentum, I had to get going right away. Friends and family say, why don't you take off for the year? Why don't you drop? No, no taking off because I'm going to lose momentum. You got to run with the momentum that you have. So if you're doing well in your corporate job and you want to get into a business, do it. Take the leap. Use the momentum. Don't let time pass because quite frankly, as we get older, it's harder to work. We want to work less. You should work less. And so you want to, you know, there's seasons to life, of course. And there's times you're going to work hard and there's times you're going to not work hard. I tell this all the time. I'm in a season of working really, really hard. More than I've ever worked. Pretty much all the time. But that's a season. And then it will get easy. And then it gets hard again. And there's different cycles of the maturity of a business. But to my point, you want to be working um, through momentum. Okay. Another thing, you know, there's a great book by Patrick Lencioni about being a CEO and building culture. And it's a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a CEO. And one of my favorite things about that book is the idea that when you're leading your company, if you're doing it right, you're going to spend more time with your executive leaders than your own friends, hopefully not more than your family. But I guess if you look at the time you spend working versus not, it's a lot of time working together. So these people come, your friends, they become people you care about. And so what happens is a lot of times a CEO will not tell their person that works directly with them when they're screwing up. It's, actually, it's a dysfunction. It's something that happens where instead of being able to have the hard conversations, they end up letting them go. It's a coward move, but it's what happens. And so being a leader and leading with compassion is, you know, going to the point of holding people accountable as I talk through these, 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 these different steps to the CEO, realizing that being a compassionate leader is having conversations that are not easy to have. I had one a month ago and the conversation went a little, little bit like this. You're amazing and I love working with you. But if this specific thing that I've now talked about three times can't change, it's not a threat. I'm not threatening your job, but I, it, it's a non-negotiable. If it can't change, we cannot continue forward. And so, you know, I'm going to give you some time to correct them. Assume if it happens again, maybe it was a mistake, but I need to know that you're working towards fixing this now. And if there's a non-negotiable for a teammate of mine, I'm, I'm okay with that too. 
you know, setting boundaries. There's nothing wrong with setting healthy and acceptable boundaries as long as they're reasonable. Dan, don't send me 5 a.m. Teams messages. That's fair. And if I did it again by accident and it was an accident, I'm going to realize that. But I'm going to respect the boundaries that people have set for me in my business, just like I'm going to, they're going to respect my boundaries. We're all just human beings trying to work and enjoy life, right? And so, you know, when, when you think about, you know, these tough conversations, you know, I'd rather have that tough conversation, course correct. And then, you know, these, these times of division, excuse me, these times of conflict, it's the commitment to a relationship that two people have to have and the ability to understand the other person's perspective. And if you're committed to the relationship, a conflict does not have to be a point of division. I think nine out of 10 times people look at conflict as division. Conflict can actually be a point of, it can be a point of, of, of unity. Some of the best relationships you have, you deal through conflict and you're better than ever. I always think about like, you know, boxers, if they, they hit it out in the ring and then they're buddies and they go have a, a beer, you know, it's like kind of a you know, barbaric example, but like sometimes like when you play a sport, right? You go really hard against somebody else and you're playing, you're playing basketball and you want to beat them and you want to eat their lunch. And then you go hang out and, and, and have some some lunch together, right? Like there's this competitive nature. I have that with friends of mine. And so, you know, conflict though, when you share common ground and you have conflict, it's a great time to not divide, but actually unite. And that's what happened in that scenario. We're actually closer than we've ever been. It was communicated. We had the ability, but I had the ability to have those tough conversations versus just letting someone go. Now, if you want to lead with compassion, leading with compassion is understanding that sometimes if you have the right people in the right seats on the bus, you're going to win. So you want the right people on the bus. If you're a team, you want the right people on the bus going to the game. But you need the right people on the bus and you need the right people in the right seats of the bus or the different roles in the org chart. And so what you want to do is you want to realize like, hey, you know what? This role is not working out for you. I think you're maybe, I know you're a good fit for the bus though. You've, you share the core values. You share the drive, you get it, you want it, you have the capacity to do everything, you want to be here. But I don't think this role is right. Let's, let's, let's transfer you over. But what you need to realize is ultimately, if someone is not a right fit for the bus, they subconsciously, they know it too, if they're not a fit for your company. And the most compassionate thing you can do in leadership is letting them go. And that is the case with nothing else. It's not the training. It's not them as a person. It's just not a fit. They don't fit on the bus. The most compassionate thing you can do is let them out of the bus because they're taking that home to their job, from their job. Their, their spouse is feeling, their kids are feeling, they feel trapped and weight. And sometimes you need to clear, help them clear out to go move to the next one. One door opens, other, uh, one door closes, another opens. It's the same thing with roles. And so compassion leadership, it's also recognizing when someone's not a fit for the bus. I'll give you an example. I wasn't the fit for my own bus, my last company anymore. It was time for me to move on. It wasn't the right fit anymore. Needed a different kind of person. I want to go out and start the next thing. And I had a bigger vision for what I wanted for my life. And I had to have that conversation. And it's not easy. And my identity was lost in that. I'll never forget. I told you I sold my business. And I realized that my identity was the business. There was a reason why even when I'm on vacation, I would check emails. And, and go to the office. You know what it was? It was significance. I felt important. I'm being real with myself, realizing I felt significant. Let me check the emails before I go to dinner on uh, on vacation, make sure I'm still relevant and, and I'm needed and there's action. And I'm, my identity is my job. A lot of people 
especially high performers or achiever type personalities, A type personalities, your identity is significantly tied toward your work. And so when I went into that exercise and what I believe made me a much better entrepreneur and better leader is that I've learned that my business is not my identity. I'll say that again. My business is not my identity, not my baby. Oh, it's my baby. It's not my baby. You have a baby, that's, that's different. Business is not your baby. My team is not my family. Families are, can be dysfunctional. You're stuck with your family. You can't leave your family, right? Family is not what I want to equate my company to. We are a high-performing sports team. Big difference. High-performing sports team, if I keep throwing the football to you and you keep not catching it, eventually, we're going to have to pull you out and put someone else back in. But we love, like, we want the best, but it's a team. That's how I look at business. And so, but what I learned was when I had this time to, to think and space in my life because I wasn't you know, working after the exit, I realized that my business, whatever I do next, my career, business, whatever, it is not my self-worth. It is my net worth. My business is my net worth. If it will change tomorrow, it doesn't change me, who I am, the core, what I stand for my family, my friends, my life outside of working. And so when you realize that, you realize that your business is not your baby or your identity. It actually removes your ego from your decisions. It's hard to remove your ego, but it helps you make it more centered. I realized that in past experiences, I was using ego or identity. Like It was coming from too much of a concern about my identity in the business. And when you realize that you're not swimming, that the business is its own living, breathing entity that should operate without you. Decisions should be made without you. Command should be decentralized, meaning decentralized command, think of like the army, like there's, there's generals and there's, you know, lieutenants and there's all these different functions of command that filter back up to the top. That's why they work so well. There's these, these pockets of, of command centers and where there's uh, hierarchy and there's communication that goes up the top. Running a business is the same thing. Great book by uh, it's called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Whitfield, I think it's Davis. Great book, great leader, great educator. That book talks about this concept of decentralized command. Another topic is, you notice throughout this podcast, I'm talking about books. If you want to be a great leader, leaders read. You want to build a great culture, read. You got to read. You got to read a lot. You got to make yourself better. You're the product of what you read and watch and listen to and hang out with. And you need to block out all the things that are not giving you the leader edge, right? You need the leader's edge. You got to be consuming knowledge. Like I've been waking up. When I wake up, I try not to touch my phone, try not to go right to my emails. I try to read. Wake up and just read, meditate, consume knowledge. It makes me a better, wiser leader. You know, wisdom comes from experience, but wisdom can be gained through reading and learning. And you can expedite and condense the time frame it takes to become the leader you want to be. I'm not the leader I want to be. To run voted the level I, I see it going, I got to continually improve. Otherwise, I'm not the fit for the CEO role either, right? Someone will also have to come in. If I want to continue to perform at the level we're performing at, the rate that we're growing, I had to make changes in my own life. I got to eat better. I got to drink more water. I got to meditate. I got to read. I got to be calm. I got to, I got to prepare myself in the mornings. I know that my days, from the second it starts to the end, it's a tough day. It's a tough day. I got a lot of people counting on me. Okay. I take it with a, a lot of respect and privilege to lead because it is a, it is a privilege to lead. And if you're not leading right, 
that privilege will be taken from you. And so you have to remember that as a leader, you need to earn your keep. You need to continually read because to lead, you read. Um, as I wrap this up, I want to just talk about structuring your organization. So when you're structuring your organization, you actually should start there. Now with the franchise, we give you all this. You don't need to do all that. But I use a program called Miro, 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 M-I-R-O.com. And it allows us to build org charts. Before there was ever voting, before there was ever playbook, before there was anyone, it was Miro in a room with Miro or with a whiteboard first or a piece of paper. And it's, here's my role, then here's another role, and here's the role I'm going to need here. And then when we get to this revenue with projections, clear, I mean, we have projections for day, you know, months, years, down to every single number. And guess what? We're hitting those projections. And we know every single expense. So you need projections and org chart. But as you create org charts, you're going you're gonna to think of the roles you need, not the people. You don't want to think about, forget the people. The role is a widget. I'm going to need this type of operations and this kind of marketing. And, and you write that out. Guess what? You build it and then you'll fill it. And again, the company is not the people that, this is the company is not the plan you make, but it's the people you hire. And so as the company expands, most ideas are not what they started, right? So like, you know, where the direction vote is gone. Yes, it's to the framework of plan that we had in mind. But I thought you brought in smarter people, experienced people with different perspectives. You got to see it. We use Microsoft Teams. We have a group of leadership team. I've never seen guys and gals go back and forth through chat, hold each other accountable. They're caringly candid. They give a perspective, different perspective, different. And then we get to a decision. Sometimes through a Teams message, series of, of responses till we get to a decision. I want to make decisions quick. But what I've learned is that um, the people start to help navigate the direction because they bring in different perspectives. And so you want to build an org chart knowing that there's going to be some room for, for iterations. Miro is a great program to do this. And you really want to have this accountability chart clear. You want to have your team's roles and responsibilities clear. When you make a job offer, it's clearly written in the offer. It's clear as day. This is what you're going to do. These are our expectations. Here's what you're not going to do. Here's the housekeeping items. Here's like the non-negotiables. What are yours, by the way? Let's notate those. What's your why? What's your vision? What do you want to do? Do you need more time off? Do you not need more time off? Some people like to travel. Some people don't. Some Realize people have different lives. You don't know what it's like. If you have two young kids, you don't know what it's like to have two older kids that maybe age, you know, in high school age. Maybe you're, you know, you have different time commitments, vice versa. You don't know somebody else's life. Take the time to understand because not everything works in your world. You got to realize and manage from other people's perspective. Put yourself in their shoes and learn how to do that. So you're going to create these org charts. We do what's called um, a position agreement. So we actually have our teammates create, as they understand their position, we ask them to write out the agreement of what they're going to do in their position, build their own position to a degree. Actually, I'd help uh, teammates create their own comp models. You talk to me, you know how to lead marketing. Come to us, how, what you come to us with, do you think would work? And we'll put it in the projections. That's what we do. Our, our I, each person in my company runs their own company. They run their own departments, decentralized command, marketing, sales, brand effort, marketing, operations, legal. And that's kind of outsourced, but either way, it's run by someone, right? And business is really all it is. It's a couple buckets. Business is sales and marketing. So you got a sales leader and a marketing leader. It's operations. You've got an operations leader. And you've got a legal leader and you've got a finance leader, right? So an example, just using my own business for example, you've got Franchise developments led by Steve. Marketing led by Christian. Operations led by Zach. 
finance. We use a firm outsourced for now, but led by them. Legal, my our our our, our counsel at, at our at our firm. So those two roles usually come later, CFO and you know, you don't really need that, especially in franchise where it's 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 pretty straightforward business. But you know, you want to think about sales, marketing operations, money counting, and legal. Those are the really if you take the business, those are the core, you know, business. And if you think about the book traction, you know, you basically you've got sales, marketing, operations. Within operations, you've got, you know, supply chain, you've got the making of the product, the servicing of the product, the hiring of the people. You've got, you know, this area of finance of counting the money in and out and making sure it's properly financed financed. And then you've got this legal side, making sure you're following all the legal. And sometimes that's a compliance area, regulatory area, like an example of franchising. Um, and you know, in restoration, there's regulatory, you know, things, there's training, there's certifications. But all these parts of a business, they don't have to be so complicated. Especially when you're part of a franchise where we understand as a franchisor all these functions and they're created for you and, and, and a playbook for you. You know, I was with someone recently that told me they lost 30 pounds and I was so fascinated by how they did it. You said, I do the 75 hard, it's called. He said, I love it. Because all you do is follow what they tell me. I look up the thing, I don't have to think. I do it. When it's done, I'm done. I love that. That's what franchise is. You know, franchising is like baking. Not like cooking, by the way. I used to say franchising is like cooking. Franchising is not like cooking. When you cook, you can like eyeball. I'm Italian. We, we eyeball it, throw a little extra sauce. No, a little extra butter. No. Baking. When you bake, you can't diverge from the plan at all, right? You put a little bit too much, it's ruined. That's what franchising is. If you want to be a good franchise owner, get into a system and follow the playbook to a T. Say, what do I got to do exactly? And that's how you're going to succeed in a franchise because we've already created the systems after, you know, in our case, 14 years of business, Boda. Um, and, you know, a decade of franchise or experience with, with our team. So anyway, if you are interested in anything I've had to say, I'm happy to talk with you. I don't care what it's about. We can schedule a call usually a few weeks out. If you just want to get some advice, I'm here to help. Uh, if you like what we're saying, you're looking for a business, vote is a great option. You know, we've got great franchise consultants out there. Um, and, you know, I really appreciate you taking a little time to listen and wish you a great rest of your day. You're f***ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, Make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 